I was born stateside. Um, I was born in New York and was a dual citizen growing up. Um, my my mom is Palauan. My dad is from Charlotte, North Carolina. Um, and when they met, I think he was in the Peace Corps at the time. And so that's how they met. Otherwise, they would have never had an opportunity to meet, which was which was pretty cool. Um, so she came back to the States with him when he returned. And then myself and my sister and my brother um, did our schooling here in the United States. So you've basically lived all your life in the U.S.? Yeah, most of my life. Um, and so I would go back during the summers to visit my family. But What's the longest time that you've spent on Palau? I mean, the whole summer it would be. Um, and our schools got out in May and we started back in August or September. It's quite interesting because that's actually almost a carbon copy story of uh, what Roman Cress experienced, the Marshallese sprinter. He, his his mum was um, from the Marshall Islands. His dad was in the Peace Corps from Minnesota, went over there, met his mother and, and came back. And I think he, you know, was born on the Marshall Islands, but lived in the state since he was 10 months. So not too far removed, that story, really. Yeah. <laughs> I, don't, I, I guess that's a really cool. I'm going to write that down because... It's interesting. Like the, there's a there's a big islander community in the, in Corsicana, Texas, kind of in between Houston and Dallas. And there's a lot of folks that live there too. It, it's time and time goes on. I just find more islanders and more islanders with similar stories. So it's fun. It's a cool connection. So growing up in the United States, then um, was it easy to maintain you and understand that culture that you had that that unique sort of you know Pacific Island background in the U.S. I I will say that growing up we were definitely the only Pacific Islanders at school. Um, but we grew up uh, southeast of Houston near where NASA is. And so we grew up in a really diverse area. Um, so everyone's parents were from somewhere. And so that was really cool because we all got to learn about each other and go eat each other's foods. And uh, so that was really fun. What's really changed the ability to stay more closely connected with Palauans and with the culture is Facebook. And social media before before that it was just so expensive to call home and you know even as kids we tried to learn Palawan as a language but when you come and you immigrate to a to a country you kind of want your kids to grow up in that and to fit in in that country so I I think if I had had Facebook or social media when I was growing up I would be fluent in Palawan but I'm not but ever since then you know we have a family Facebook group and it's much easier to keep in touch with people and understand what's going on and hear about people's accomplishments it's been really really nice particularly in the last year because COVID has really forced that to be a top priority. And so swimming how did that come into your life? I uh, I took swim lessons I think I was five or six and my teacher at the time just said to my parents hey she's she's doing pretty good. You think she wants to do this more frequently? Do you think she wants to keep doing this after the lessons are over? And my parents asked me and I, you're a kid. You're kind of like, yeah, sure. I like this. It's fun. Um, and so they signed me up for a team. Because that is one of the more demanding sports in terms of the amount of time and the hours, you know, the early starts, crack of dawn, getting up for those lessons before school sort of thing. It's, it's not like you just got a training session after school for an hour or so. Like there's a lot of time and, and effort there. There is. I mean, <laughs> I really, I thought that my parents probably thought it was a good thing. You know, you know, they're probably thought, oh man, we have to teach her discipline. We have to teach her work ethic. We want her to grow up exercising and we want her to have positive experiences on a team. Uh, let's let her do that. You know, <laughs> I think it really set a tone for kind of how I was able to get through college, honestly, because I, I went to school at Rice University in Texas 
Um, and when I went there, you know, I'd always thought of myself as kind of a history reading person. And if you'd asked me when I was 16 or 17, what I wanted to do when I grew up, I, I would have said fashion design, but I flip flopped and did a 180 and ended up doing civil engineering. And I think, <laughs> you know, the early days, the focus, definitely the discipline and definitely being able to have your coach yell at you <laughs> at five in the morning kind of helped me get through that for sure. So were you studying there on a scholarship? I was not. So my first year um, of university, I went to the University of Cincinnati and I was on a partial swimming scholarship there. Um, and then I came back, I, honestly, um, it's it snowed and there was snow and ice on the ground from October 31st to maybe the middle of end of, or end of April. I said, that was great. That was a nice experience. And then I was like, okay, it's time. It's time for uh, something else. And so that's when I started to look at schools. And um, at the time I had retired from swimming due to kind of a couple, a combination of things. I had a back injury and I was living on my own and really more focused on employment and feeding myself than I was on paying training fees. Right. So I thought, you know, I better buckle down and, and figure out what I'm going to do to support myself as an adult. And yeah, I just had to, had to make a choice. So how old were you when you retired initially from swimming? 19. By which point you'd obviously already been to the Olympics. Yes. Uh, yeah, Sydney, I was 16. That in itself is pretty mind-blowing, right? I mean, I know there are young swimmers, but to have that experience going to the Olympic Games at 16 to represent a country that obviously you visit in your holidays, but is still very far from where you grew up, when you look back, do you think, geez, that was, you know, like just a, a crazy experience? Yeah. When I look back on it, I think, number one, I think I couldn't have done it now. You know, you just know more when you're older and I'm, you know, 20 years older now. So it's very different lens. I think, man, if I did that now, I would be so nervous um, and I would really want to be planning a lot more things versus, you know, when you're 16, you're, you're just, you're there to take it all in and you're there to do your job. There, there were some other events that I did for Palau afterwards that having had the experience of not only competing in the Olympics, but also talking to media, um, doing interviews, talking to people from other countries really kind of informed what I did later on. There's a, a swimmer, Sean uh, Wallace, who swam for Palau later, and he lives in Houston. He's a civil engineer also. And uh, he and I met up uh, in Texas February 20, actually, right before COVID. And we had this whole conversation of, you know, when you're young like that and you don't necessarily know how to manage yourself, but you also have to be kind of a, a diplomat for this country. You also kind of are a representative of this country. And so it's interesting as a teenager to try to be really adult and put together, even though you're just kind of a kid and you're trying to figure it out and you don't know the answers. How, how did the idea of you representing Palau happen? So it was a, a combination of a couple of things. One, one of the things that we did, because back then it was hard to stay in touch with family and, and everything, but one of the things that we did was we did order the Palau newspaper. So we ordered Chabelau to be shipped to our house. I have no idea how much that costed, but we kind of kept up with news that way. And then I don't remember if they called us or if it came up in a conversation my mom was having with one of her sisters but they mentioned, hey, we're forming an Olympic committee. And I think the, the way the rules worked back then is the most approachable way for a company, to, a country to compete for the first time is to have 
uh, a male and a female in an individual sport. Um, so they were looking at sports like track and field, like swimming, like weightlifting, which is Valerie was a weightlifter to start up that way. So both from a how do we how do we get in and also how do we fund this because it's it's come from an island that's pretty remote and have to do all of the events that you have to do leading up to the Olympics and then have to do the Olympics is quite an undertaking. And what did it mean to your family? Also, you know, firstly at the Micronesian Games to actually go to Palau and represent the country for the first time there at 15, I presume. And then a year later, of course, the Olympic Games to not only represent Palau at 16, but also to, by chance, conveniently, by way of schedule, be the very first person to ever represent Palau at an Olympic Games. Yes, uh, that was huge. For the Palauan side of my family, it was definitely a great way to get to know my family better. So on a personal level, it was really meaningful for us. For the American side of my family, everybody came to Sydney and it was actually the first time that our whole American family got, was able to get together. Um, so it was really significant for both, for both sides. What stands out for you in terms of memories to think that it was, you know, more than two decades ago when you um, look back? One of the things that stuck out is, I wonder if it's stuck out for some of the other folks you interviewed, but doing all of the things that we did without technology, without cell phones, you know, there was no way to call my mom when I landed and say, mom, I got here safe. There was no way to email my mom when I landed and say, mom, I got here safe. My parents just put me on a plane and said, good luck, which I don't know if anybody can imagine doing that now. You know, I travel for work and I'm always constantly connected. I think one of the other things that is really wonderful is I loved meeting people from all over the world. And that's something that you would never you know, you just don't get the opportunity to do unless you start buying plane tickets yourself. And so the company I work for now, that's one of the, my favorite things is trying to build teams of people from all over the world, because it's just that same global feeling, like we're all more alike than we think. And it's really nice that we can do so, like work together without all these barriers, put me in more of a global mindset. You know, who were the stars that you walked past and thought, bloody hell, I'm 16 years old. Who did you see? Who did you meet? Okay, so right out of the gate, first day or two, I think it was, it's got to have been the first day because I didn't even know where to go to eat lunch. Um, and so they were said, oh, let's show you the cafeteria. So we walk in there and I had a yellow beanie on, like I just had a yellow hat on because I was cold and the Australian swim team walked in and I was just, there's Grant Hackett, there's Ian Thorpe, there's Michael Klim, there's like, you know, all those people that you hear about and you just, you know, they're in, they're in magazines. They're, you know, not real almost. And there they were. So, you know, you're 16, play it cool, play it cool, eat your dinner, don't drop your fork. And one of them comes by and says, cool hat. And I about melted into the floor. <laughs> I didn't even look to see who it was. I was just, I just stuck my head like, thank you. Thank you. And she just died. <laughs> Have you kept in touch with the other four Palau athletes? Do you do you ever hear from them or do you know where they're at these days? Uh, yeah, Peoria and I uh, keep in touch pretty closely. We message each other back, back and forth on Facebook. Out of the original five of us athletes, the two of us have passed away. So there's only three of us still living. Um, so that's myself and Peoria and then Christopher. Um, they're the two track and field runners. But Anne Lloyd, who is our Mail Summer and uh, Valerie, who was our weightlifter, both passed. 
you know, within within five to eight years after the games in Sydney, I think they were both, yeah. Um, I think they were uh, accidental as well. So, then, you know, just really unfortunate. Yeah, and I suppose it does just kind of bring home that, you know, that Sydney games for you as a 16-year-old, for the five of you representing Palau for the first time at an Olympic Games, it really was this, you know, incredible moment in time that, you know, obviously tragic that a couple of them are no longer with us today, but, you know, you all had that unique experience. Nobody had represented Palau at those games before, so uh, crazy that it's 21 years already since then, but, um, you know, those memories in that time still exist. It is, it is, and it's it's great to still go back and visit them. And what's been really great is watching people, you know, grow up and they've had kids and watching their kids grow up. And Piora's daughter is named Sydney after the games. And I think she runs as well. So it's just been really great to see that cross-generational kind of thing happen. One of, the, one of the things that's really cool now is when you retire from the sport, you, it's kind of a fork in the road in your life. Like you either have to completely move on or you see people that have stayed on as coaches and whatnot long-term. But um, so Pure kind of has done the coach path and then I've done, obviously I'm in a different path, but being able to now be connected with some of the athletes from later games. Um, I think I might've mentioned Sean and I had gotten together because he was up for up in Dallas for a master's meet. And so he and I met up and, kind of talked about what it was like to swim for Palau in 2000 and also in 08 and 12 and what you would tell younger swimmers that no one told you <laughs> or what you would tell younger swimmers that you wish you knew. It's really nice to be able to pass some of those things on. So that would have been quite a, you know, obviously with your age as well, but then coming into an environment where, you know, you're for all intents and purposes born and raised in the States and you're coming in to represent Palau, were you, were you welcomed by the other four? Oh, it was so much fun. The other thing is I was the youngest on the team. So, <laughs> so they gave me a lot of grace, but um, yeah, they, it was for me, the young kid hanging out with the older cool kids, because I think everybody was college age, college age. So I was this high school kid hanging out with college kids. So it was really cool. And how did you feel about the actual competition? Because obviously that's what you're there for uh, 16 years old, the bright lights of Sydney 2000. Um, were you happy with your race? I remember being I remember being happy that I did it. Sydney was the year that they the first year that they allowed the full body suits for competition. But the catch was those suits were only allowed as long as they were made available for everyone. So Speedo came in and just had boxes and boxes and boxes of swimsuits and said, "Hey everybody, take, you know, 15." <laughs> so everybody got to go in and uh, that was the first time I ever wore one of those shark skin suits and I thought well, if you're gonna do it anytime you might as well do it now um and so everything leading up to that like trying to put that swimsuit on which it really took it really did take five to ten minutes it's not an exaggeration to waiting in the ready room the competitions that I had there wasn't a, a ready room you just kind of showed up on time so to be in a structured holding place for your nerves to go up was a very different experience but it was really cool seeing the other athletes in the in the waiting room. And, you know, some folks were nervous. Some folks were just kind of focused in the zone to walking out and hearing the crowd and knowing your family is in the crowd. And then you start and then you hit the water and you're just there to do what you came there to do. The whole experience was 
really surreal when I think about it, looking back, even the turn and like the last 25 meters and trying to touch the wall and looking up to see what my time was and figuring out how to get out of the water because it also wasn't what I was used to. You used to just climb straight up out of your lane. And then I realized about part of the way up the wall that I was not supposed to climb up and that I... (laughs) Then I was worried about getting disqualified. So I got back down in the water and swam over to the side. Yeah, the whole experience was was really neat. You mentioned that obviously you eventually retired uh, a few years later. You competed, you know, after Sydney, you competed in you know, a couple of world swimming champs, Pacific Games in Fiji. Was that just a case of, you know, life goes on, you've, you know, you've got a job or, you know, career life to move on with? Or did, did you ever ponder the possibility of Athens? Was that ever... Uh, something that was in the mix? Oh, absolutely. I was not ready to retire when I did. And I was really brokenhearted about it for years. I couldn't watch Athens. I could barely watch Beijing. And I watched London. (laughs) That was the first Olympics that I was really able to watch. And, you know, because I didn't want to retire when I did, but I was injured. I had life needs. And so it was, a little bit out of my control, but you know everything turned out the way it should have, and because of that, I've been able to build, you know, to build a life. But um, it was quite a while before I was able to let go of wondering, like, oh, how would it have been if I was able to keep going? And here we are, twenty twenty one, with possibly the most unique or bizarre Olympic Games that, that could ever exist upon us very shortly in Tokyo. What's it like now as an ex-Olympian or an Olympian, you know, watching on just now as a fan like the rest of us? Uh, do you, when you watch it, do you still think of it from that athlete mindset now? Can you just, you know, sit on the couch or what's it like? I don't know if I'm still sitting on the couch when I'm watching, like I'm, you know, up and down and you can still feel what it feels like in your gut and you're still like breathing along. Yeah, no, it doesn't. <laughs> There's no kicking back with the beer watching the Olympics. <laughs> And you're in Washington, D.C. now. You've obviously, you've got a job that takes you all around uh, traveling. Uh, do you still make it to a pool occasionally? Do you, ha- do, you, do you have any involvement with swimming anymore? Well, I don't now. My, uh, my nephew swims, my nephew and my niece. My sister's got three kids. And, you know, I'm watching other people's kids learn how to swim. Old teammates are telling me, hey, you know, I'm telling my son or daughter to swim fast like my friend Nicole used to. That's really cool. Um, but I don't, I don't get to a pool. I did do triathlons for a little while. So I was swimming a bit, but not, no, (laughs) I still have my own swimsuits, but I don't know that I would fit into them either. (laughs) 